Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. You're tuned in to real-time relationships. Enter the world of successful relationships. You'll get insider tips on how to navigate the perils and pitfalls of modern dating and up-close-and-personal real-life stories you can relate to from Dr. Camarado's personal clients. Dr. Marianne Camarado is a relationship expert, author, and media personality who continues to enjoy her own long-term successful relationship. And now, here's Real-Time Relationships with Dr. Marianne Camarado. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Marianne Camarado. Welcome to Real-Time Relationships. This is where we get to find tools, skills, inspiration, motivation, all things related to relationships. As a matter of fact, I am devoted to helping you attract and create healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationships. Assuming that's what you want, and this is always an interesting point, but not what we're talking about today. We're going to talk today about loving through your differences here on the program. Uh, the opposite attract story will probably come up. All that this conjures is what I'm interested in discussing with our guest today to help you be more informed and, again, to be resourced and inspired um, and take this material out into your real world, into your relationships. We are relational creatures, which means practically everything is about relationships. So you're in the right place. I'm so glad you're here. Um, and, you know, just on the, the point of the today's topic, oftentimes we know that we're having trouble in a relationship uh, when we're fighting or uh, not able to uh, negotiate or we get stuck, all those kinds of places in relationship. Rarely do we seek out uh, healing information uh, just for uh, recreational uh, pleasure. So uh, I'm imagining that you've either already been through some heartbreak, have something on the brink, um, or you might just be curious, whatever brings you here, know that the couple fight, you know, sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. And sometimes, as our guest, uh, Dr. James Creighton, shares, these fights provide a comic relief or they can threaten the very survival of the relationship. My guest today, psychologist and relationship consultant, Dr. James Creighton, is joining me to talk about how to love through these differences. His new book called Loving Through Your Differences, Building Strong Relationships from Separate Realities to Help Bridge Our Different Perceptions or Experiences of Realities. He's going to be here today talking with me about some ways that we can help you express your feelings with minimal blame and accusations. Okay, stop laughing. <laughs> we like blaming somebody else. It's so hard to take responsibility. He's going to talk about listening with empathy, stopping behaviors that make fights escalate before they spin out of control, and so much more. We truly can 
be more happy and productive in our relationships and find excitement and fulfillment rather than the disappointment and frustration uh, that we often notice when our differences come up. So, Dr. Creighton, we are so glad to hear today. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's good to be with you. Um, as, as you said, uh, all couples fight, and some couples fight a little, and some couples fight a lot. And uh, I guess my wife and I are more on the end of fighting a lot, and so it became a, a personal interest to try to figure out everything I could about how, how, how we could make it work. And uh, we've been married 53 years now, so I guess we're going to make it. You're doing okay. Well, I think you get the prize of the day, although you can email us at info at marianncomrado.com and let us know if you beat that 50-year mark. We want to hear about that. Well, and I love the wounded healer archetype. I love teaching through experience as well as, you know, you've been in school and you've been doing this for a number of years. But our own personal experience makes it so much more accessible, I find, for me and for, for our listeners. So uh, thank you so much for taking care to track your relationship, your personal experience. But before we get into some of the nuts and bolts here, let's talk a little bit about the fundamentals of relationships. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that, you know, we're, we're relational creatures, and relationship is really about survival. Um, but I noticed that, for most of my clients and other colleagues and, and having been in therapy myself, um, it seems like when it comes to relationships, um, it's when you know, our differences initially seem very interesting and then not. <laughs> At what point fundamentally do things change or is it something that's just unconscious from the get-go? What do you want to say about that? It, it just sort of happens. Uh, she likes him because he's stable and solid, and after a few years, she dislikes him because he's boring. Uh, he liked her because she's exciting and interesting, and then a few years later, he gets tired of her because she's <coughs> exploding all the time and having all kinds of emotional reactions, and he gets sick of it and so forth. So mm. all of that goes on. There are two fundamentals that I think uh, kind of to start with. One is in the title of the book, it talks about separate realities. And I know my wife and I had the biggest problems with those kinds of arguments where we had very different emotional reactions to the same event. And it, it can start with something pretty simple, like uh, we go to a movie, I'm, uh, I find it really exciting, and she's bored to tears. She doesn't like car chases. And um, when we get out in the lobby afterwards, uh, if I start off with, uh, ah, that was a great movie, uh, she's going to go off with something about how horrible it was. And anybody who likes it is probably adolescent and on and on and on. <laughs> uh, what we're really doing is each of us had an experience and at a feeling level, I did, in fact, feel excited, and she did, in fact, feel bored. But the minute we move it from a feeling, from an experience, up to a judgment, it was a great movie or a horrible movie and so forth, we, we two contradictory judgments will get in a fight. 
Mm. Two contradictory feelings don't have to, as long as we understand that both of us naturally have an entirely different separate reality. Nobody else has exactly the same experiences, uh, education, training, childbearing, on and on and on, that you have. And so when you experience something, you interpret it in light of your experience, and your partner interprets it in light of his experience. And what doesn't go well is when you start having an argument where you're trying to convince the other person that he or she should have the same reality you have. They don't. They just flat out don't. They have their own experience of what happened. And it's entirely realistic to expect that two people going through the same experience will have different reactions to that and experience different emotions to that and so on. So what we're really working with is how do we handle the fact that other people have separate realities? Right. So what I'm hearing you talk about is our reactive state, right? Not what you do. We feel the feeling that we come to some meaning, but then it's, we become adversarial. Like we want the other person to take on our meaning and our truth and, like you said, our reality. Uh, why can't we just be quiet and see the dead person's reality? What's up with that? Uh, I'm sorry. The, the phone was a little bit broke up a little bit. Would you repeat the question? Sure, of course. I'm wondering why it is that we go from zero to 50. You know, we have an experience of a movie, using your metaphor. Uh, I liked it. He didn't. And why is it that I would want my reality to trump his reality? I mean, what, would, what compels people to actually get into it and get reactive? Why can't we just be curious about the other person's reality. I mean, what creates the conflict is what I'm looking for here, leading in. I think one of the key things is most of us were raised with the belief that something happening externally causes our feelings. And, you know, this is reinforced by by music. Uh, you make me feel like dancing and so forth. And so on. The other person causes feelings. And so when we have an experience, we think we're having an experience of the event, which should be universal because we experience the event and think others are going to have exactly the same emotional reaction. So they coming to learn that you shape your own, your own feelings. Somebody can say something and you can feel very hurt, but... You can't say they hurt you. Uh, that your hurt is a is a combination of what happened externally, plus the meaning that you bring to it. Okay. I think well, that's well, we get in the fight because we experience the event as universal and are puzzled why everybody hasn't had the same reaction. Okay, so let's go back to the movie. Let's say. Uh, I'm with the, my husband. He doesn't like the car chase. I love it. We talk about it. I draw a conclusion. Yeah, that was so wonderful. He says, oh, that's such a kid's movie or such a chick flick or whatever. Um, so what I'm hearing you say is the conflict comes when I think that he should share my external reality, my beliefs, my, the conclusion I've drawn. But why do I have to fight about it? 
you know what I'm saying? Like, what, at what point do we make a decision? Is it the reactive state that we get into? Because there is a choice point there. Yes. Right? Um, so, but we're not aware of it, maybe. Yeah, but it's so unconscious and happens so fast that most of the time people aren't aware of it. Uh, one thing that helps a great deal is how you communicate your reaction. So if we go to a movie and I come out and say, boy, I enjoyed that. And she says, well, I was bored to tears. Uh, we can allow those, we can allow both of those to be there. It can be true that I could be excited and she could be bored. The minute we elevate it to a judgment or conclusion, as you, word you use, uh, that's where we start getting into, into trouble. So in fact, what I encourage couples to do is to share the feeling they're experiencing inside hurt, angry, sappy, sad, frustrated, whatever, rather than the judgment, uh, boring, juvenile, uh, thrilling, so forth and so on. Um, it's, the judgments aren't universal. We like to think they are, but they aren't universal. It's a fact that I felt excited and a fact that she felt bored, but it's not a fact that it's a great movie or a bad movie or whatever. And so that's one of the key things in communication is taking responsibility and reporting what you're feeling and even maybe a little bit about why you're feeling that way, but avoiding either making a big judgment out of it or blaming and accusing the other person for causing your feelings. Well, you know what's interesting when I hear that? I think about um, the responses that, people often have when they feel ty the, the tiresome fighting. The the idea that there's somebody else out there that isn't as tiresome, that won't that will agree with me, that it's really you that is the problem, not me taking responsibility for my own emotions. This seems to be a very common default for folks. Why they don't end up doing the work on the relationship because we have some idea that we should be fluid naturally with our partners or we're not with the right partner. What do you think about that? I, I think you might find somebody who agreed with you on this particular issue, but you're going to find they have a separate reality on something else. Yeah. Uh, so we're yeah. talking about a, a movie that uh, that's kind of a silly, unimportant thing. But these same arguments could have to do with uh, sexuality, child rearing, spending money, on and on and on. Uh, it's inevitable that the other person will have some differences in reality. And uh, if you don't accept responsibility, it's going to be a sticking point in the relationship no matter what. Right. I think it's a, a fabulous foundational point that you're making. As you said, a fundamental to any healthy relationship is recognizing that you have your own reality and and being curious about another person's reality is kind of where we're headed now. You talk about identifying and using our differences as teachers. When we have uh, established that our reality is not universal, and it's interior and it comes from inside, um, then at that point we have to um, reframe this material that comes up. You, you reframe it as teaching them being teachers themselves, the actual material. Can you talk more about that? Well, let, let me elaborate with an example. 
a couple that wants to buy a new car. He was raised in an immigrant family. The big thing is to be able to show other people that they've made it. They somehow overcame the immigrant experience and are now a success. And so he'd like to buy a Mercedes-Benz. Uh, she was raised in a family, it was a working class family, and the big value system was you didn't, you didn't show off, you didn't try to put yourself up, set yourself up above other people and so forth. And so she's uncomfortable even being in a Mercedes, let alone owning one. And so they go to buy a car, and they both bring those frames. And if they don't somehow work on finding a larger frame, they're going to have trouble with the car. Now, now what I mean by a, a larger frame, um, a guy who goes all the time, or frequently goes with his buddies to go hunting, and when he gets home, his wife starts asking him all kinds of questions and so on, and he feels like uh, she's jealous and trying to control him, and he, got, he gets defensive and resentful and reactive, and it's been a bad thing. When he tried to reframe it, what he discovered is the same behaviors that she engages in, instead of being controlling, could also be interpreted as she's feeling insecure and uncertain. And if he responds effectively to her feeling insecure and uncertain, an entirely different set of behaviors comes both from her and from him and so on. And actually the insecure interpretation is, is is as justified by the evidence as, as the control explanation and so on. So people can, can learn to reframe their, their emotional realities so that it, it raises other options, allows other parts of themselves to be engaged, so forth. And, and so we spend quite a bit of time in the book talking about re, reframing experiences. Yeah, so we've got the first principle, which, again, just to review, that the other person's feelings and responses and ideas and so forth, that's their own reality. You each have your own, okay? This is an operating premise. You take responsibility for your own reality, but then next is we have to connect here somewhere. So we do that, what, through listening, through being curious, through being... Um, you know, I call it being a witness, uh, being committed to being a witness to someone else, who they are and who they're becoming. I mean, that feels essential to me in any real relationship. But, but these are elements that we need to cultivate here, right? Yes, uh, it, it definitely assumes that the, the couple are, try, are trying to share their meanings. I could go back to the people with the car. Uh, they're going to have to talk out what it means to him and what it means to her. What they're then trying to do is to come up with uh, a shared meaning that they both have that allows them to make a decision about whether or not to buy that car. The, um, so there's a lot, it assumes a lot of sharing about here's what's going on in me. And it's entirely possible that in the process of trying to uh, arrive at a shared meaning that uh, he might decide that he doesn't want to have to spend his whole life showing people that he's arrived. And she might well decide that she doesn't want to spend all her life limited by 
other people's expectations and never rising above anybody and so forth and so on. Uh, they may both discover that they don't like the, the frames that they have. Uh, a, a way of thinking about it is uh, he brings his family's rules about how people share and communicate and fight and so forth. And she brings hers, and what they really have to do is somehow come up with uh, some, some ways of relating that are us, us rules rather than his or hers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got it. So I just had a thought. If anybody out there is listening and you're about to get in a new relationship, I mean, these are prophylactic skills, okay? <laughs> you can really get a jump start uh, in moving into a new relationship here. Uh, this is great advice. Uh, Dr. James Creighton and I are talking about loving through your differences. Um, when you first meet someone, I think it's a really important thing to understand. For example, what does it mean when I say I love you? What do you mean by commitment? What do you mean by being emotionally available? What do you even think a relationship means? These are things we almost never ask people. We make these assumptions across the board, and then never mind when you're in the relationship and, oh, and then married, by the way. When we get back after the break, we're going to talk more about this. Dr. James Creighton and I are, are here on Real-Time Relationships talking about loving through your differences. And when we come back, we're going to talk about problem solving and how those tactics don't usually work and how this responsible communication is really the key for creating healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationships. Back in just a minute, sit tight. I'm Marianne Camarado. We'll be right back. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at 50-50, and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward, and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, call in to Real-Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net Welcome back to Real Time Relationships. I'm Dr. Mary Ann Camarado. So glad you're here. Dr. James Creighton and I are talking about his new book, Loving Through Your Differences. Honestly, differences can be very exciting in the beginning, but doesn't always translate to an easy relationship route. Uh, we were talking before the break about sort of fundamentally 
how we set ourselves up to um, approach conflict from our different realities. But ultimately, when we embrace that we each have our own reality and relationships, that we become curious about the other person's reality, right? That is, that's sort of half the battle in that sense. Because when we're convinced that our reality is the only reality, that does not make for easy peasy relationships. So uh, before we went to the break, Dr. Creighton, we were talking a little bit about how um, understanding the other person's reality is definitely the way through, but this sometimes can be seen as like a problem-solving tactic, right? People get these little anecdotal ideas and we think something's broken. Typically, we think it's the other person. We think, God, if you would just come around to seeing my point of view, uh, everything would be okay. So we, we definitely waffle back and forth. What can we do about that? Well, what we're talking about does assume that the couple does quite a bit of sharing. Uh, the one thing I would point out, though, is that in order to do the sharing, there has to be a safe environment. I'm not going to start sharing my deep inner feelings if I feel like I'm going to get judged for it or cut down and so forth and so on. And so the, um, the skills, the listening skills and the sending skills and so on are important for whether or not there's a, an environment that's safe. One of, one of the things that's intriguing is uh, some people are what are called pursuers and some are called distancers. And pursuers are people who, when they're anxious, they have to they have to handle it right now. And distancers are people who do better by kind of going off and thinking it through and so forth and so on. And the pursuer steps forward, wanting to talk about it. And you know the dreaded words we we need to talk about our relationship, which the guy the guys in particular shudder the minute they hear those words. And uh, as the pursuer steps forward, the distancer backs away, which makes the pursuer more anxious, so she comes on stronger and so forth. And when I use she, it's, it's because the research does show um, that pursuers are more likely to be female, distances are more likely to be male. Uh, but there are plenty of examples that contradict that rule. Uh, but my wife and I had that. She was she was born in a fam, raised in a family uh, where you conflict was handled instantly, uh, not necessarily well. Uh, was very loud, but not well. Uh, I was raised in a family where conflict just wasn't done, and as a kid, uh, I could only tell that the adults seemed kind of itchy. I didn't know why. Uh, so we came to, she was definitely a pursuer and I was definitely a dis distancer. And I would pull back. She would come on e even more and insist we just had to deal with it and so on. But eventually I realized that she was right. We did have to deal with it. And we set up some rules about how long from the time either one of us was upset before before we talked. I think it was 24 hours or something like that. But then I noticed a funny thing. The, the minute she, uh, we agreed when, when we were going to talk about it, I would usually say, oh, heck, well, let's talk about it now. Uh, because the minute we agreed on when we were going to talk, it was no longer a control issue. 
was no longer doing it in her time. Support. And the minute the control issue went away, then I wanted to get the results also. Mm. Okay. So a couple of things that come up for me and maybe for our listeners out there, um, this idea of pursuers and distancers, you know, when we start lumping people into categories, um, sometimes um, this can be frustrating given all of the new data about attachment issues and, you know, the, the changing ways that we are identifying our genders and so forth. So I just want to do a little pause here. For anybody out there who feels reactive or sensitive to this material, yeah, being categorical, you, you know, we are all all of these things at some points in our lives. Some I notice some people bring out certain qualities of mine and other people bring out others. And I want to go back to Dr. James Creighton's one of his teaching points is that these issues are teachers for us. They are places and points of reference where we can deepen our understanding of ourselves and our partners. So I really like to encourage, encourage folks not to get hung up on the sort of the uh, structure or the, the, the naming or the labeling of this. This is just a portal in. I think you would agree with me, Dr. Creighton. These are ways for us to find our way into a deeper conversation by understanding our behavior more generally, correct? Yes, and, and in fact, the only reason I brought up the gender thing is because the research does does show a tendency for pursuers to be female and a tendency for distancers to be male, but, but by no means a, a universal. What's important is being able to see yourself engaging in these behaviors. Yeah. And as you engage in the behaviors, being able to come up with agreements. And, and once again, I'm, I'm a great believer in setting shared rules. Right. So you, uh, as I said, we, my wife and I came up with a, a rule about how, how quickly after one of us was upset, the other had to discuss it. Gotcha. And uh, over time, the, the rule's kind of fallen away. We. Uh, I don't feel as threatened by her pushing, and she doesn't feel quite as urgent. It has to be talked about instantly and so forth and so on. But we needed to see the behavior. The pursuer distance thing simply helped us understand uh, that that behavior could be going on and, and what a difference, uh, right. what it was causing in, in us. Beautiful, and you're making another really good point to an earlier question I had, which is when we think we will find a problem-solving tactic, it usually creates separation. Uh, one person is seen as the problem, and the other seems that they think that their reality is correct. A unified way of creating a relationship where we both decide how we are going to address this conflict. When we come back right here on Real-Time Relationships, we're going to talk more about creating this safe environment that Dr. James Creighton was just talking about, where you feel like you want to be um, vulnerable or you're more likely to talk about what's really going on and some of the other rules that you can create together uh, in your relationship so you can love through your differences. We'll be right back right after these messages to type. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships 
didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at 50-50, and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, call in to Real-Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. You have too little time to shop, so try Farm Fresh to you. They deliver organic food the way nature intended. Delivered straight to your home or office, economically. Visit our web advertiser page and click on Farm Fresh to You now. All positive talk with a mature edge. HealthyLife.net Welcome back to Real-Time Relationships, everybody. I'm Dr. Marianne Camarado. Joining me today is Dr. James Creighton, talking about his new book, Loving for Your Differences, Building Strong Relationships from Separate Realities. Well, we have made a few important assumptions here. One of them is that you want this relationship to work and that you want to know what your partner's reality is. You care about it. So it's a really big assumption, but I want to keep naming that because sometimes this is the stumbling block, right, that we climb over that and we just stay adversarial. We stay campaigning for our reality. We stay in that cycle of react, react, and make up, break up, make up, et cetera, right, and somehow we get used to that. So the way through that is to own your own reality and be curious and really care about your partner's reality. Now, Dr. Creighton, before the break, we were talking about some of the ways that we can agree to engage in exploring the next layer, which is looking at the actual material, right? Just being clear that you have a reality and being curious and caring about it doesn't mean that we're there yet. So you talked about with your wife, you've got a five-minute rule. Um, and there are, I'm sure, some other things we can teach our couples or they can expand their practice um, to be more effective with their communication and problem solving and create a safe environment, yeah. One, one of the keys is to understand that resistance breeds resistance, that as you tell your partner that they're wrong for having their reality, uh, they will simply defend their reality, and it, it usually causes escalation. They will, they will defend it creatively, causing you to feel like you have to defend yours, and off to the races we go. So um, some, some of the kinds of things 
that need to be done is the first is communicate feelings rather than judgments. We've already talked about that. The uh, second one has to do with with listening and contradiction, telling the other person they're wrong, coming up with one more fact to convince them you're right, so forth and so on, uh, gets you nowhere. It, it just it escalates and turns into to bad stuff. Now, one of the techniques that's discussed in the book is a technique called active listening, which is learning how to summarize in your own words what the other person is feeling and thinking and checking it out with them. Extraordinarily valuable skill, but it's one you need to actually practice. Knowing about it uh, is like knowing about a different golf swing. just because you know about it doesn't mean you can do it. So active listening takes some real practice. Uh, and I encourage anybody that's interested to look for courses, training courses, and things like that where they can learn active listening. The one thing my wife and I have found, though, is that there are times we just flat out can't do the active listening. Just don't, don't have the room inside to hear what the other person says. So uh, we were taught a rule that has been a real lifesaver for us which is uh, this five-minute rule. And the way it works is we start to start to escalate, and one or the other of us, either one of us can invoke the five-minute rule. And the rule then is you stop dead. You don't do anything else. Nobody says anything else except decide who goes first. And once you, that person goes first, they get five minutes to say whatever he or she wants uh, without any interruption, or contradiction or even loud body language and so on in return for which then the other person gets five minutes now the uh, reason it works is for five minutes you're not getting contradicted most of the arguments we get into about every 20 seconds somebody's telling you you're bad stupid or crazy for feeling what you do five minutes is long enough that a lot of the emotional heat goes out of it uh, I may still be have the same thing, but I don't have that same sense of urgency I've got to get through. In fact, I find it about four minutes I even bore myself. So uh, but <laughs> you may have to do a second round of five minutes, and maybe at the end of it one or the other of you can summarize what the other person said, or maybe you just end up saying, well, I don't have any more to say. I'm not having more to say. That's not bad. Uh, you, from from there, you, you can jump off from there into future discussions and so on. Yeah, you can go off and think about it and come back and say, well, as I understand it, the reason you do such and such is you feel such and such and so on. Uh, but yes, you do want to create that kind, kind of sharing environment. Uh, the other thing that we may want to talk about is... Uh, Escalation, because there are certain behaviors that we engage in that cause the other person to escalate. Yes. And we, can, we can talk about that as a separate topic. Well, I'm happy to roll right into that topic because I'll tell you, I feel that most people would be sitting at attention who really don't know what to do with things get out of control. So let's go there. Okay. Well, the. It's actually kind of a predictable pattern that's followed when in in an escalation in a fight. Uh, fights usually start out with blaming or accusing. One or the other person blames or accuses the other person, and you get a counter accusation back and forth, and 
uh, you're, you're off to the races. What usually happens next is that one or the other person expands the issue. So you start off with something pretty small, like left the, tooth, the cap off the toothpaste again, and that moves into you're always so messy, and that moves into you're utterly irresponsible. Uh, you just don't care what happens to other people. And on a, uh, then there's a stage at which you start pulling in other people with ammunition. It's not just me that feels this way. Your mother said, or the whole neighborhood got together and voted and decided you're irresponsible. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Try, trying to drag in other people to re strengthen and reinforce your position. Uh, and it, it keeps going up in, in steps like that until you finally reach the top, which is where the name of the game now has become to try to hurt the other person, either mm. emotionally or physically and so on. Mm. Now, the trick is, first of all, you see yourself doing this. Uh, the, yeah. the value of having kind of a typology of behavior for escalation is that you can see it. You can start to see it as it's happening. It's usually when we're in this thing, we, we're quite unconscious that we're expanding the issue, or we're using other people's ammunition, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And when you, when, once you can see it, you can begin once again to set rules about it. Um, my wife and I have a. We don't expand the issue. Thing. Now, occasionally one or the other of us will. Uh, it'll move from the toothpaste cap on up to you're irresponsible and so forth and so on. Uh, and when reminded of that, we have to kind of grudgingly back down to what the original issue is. Or we'll catch ourselves using other people as ammunition. Um, th these, again, are rules. There's his rules, her rules, and our rules. And you have to go for our our rules about escalation. How to, how to keep it from kind of, it's kind of like a ladder of escalation that we go up, and if you see mm -hmm. the behavior, you can stop it. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to go to break right now, uh, but before we do, one of the things that I'm very curious about as well is these sort of sort of this gaslighting. Uh, we haven't talked about that today. It's a very hot topic on the planet, from what I understand, at least in the Western world. This, this sense of gaslighting where we're setting people up, right, where we're projecting because we don't want to start the fight. We want to blame the other person. This is another tactic. When we get back more after these messages right here on real-time relationships, I'm Dr. Marianne Camarada with Dr. James Creighton. We'll be back in just a minute. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present 
is that the relationship is not just about me, but us. We come in at 50-50, and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward, and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, Call in to Real-Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net. Welcome back to Real-Time Relationships. I'm so glad you've joined us today. Um, we are at the top of the hour. I'm Dr. Marianne Camarado. Joining me is Dr. James Creighton. We're talking about loving through your differences. Uh, Dr. Creighton, before the break, we were talking about some strategies uh, for coming together and using uh, and developing really good listening skills, um, negotiating your differences. We talked about the five-minute rule when we feel like we've escalated beyond that um, and so forth. You've got some great skills for us. Um, just before the break, though, I brought up this idea, popular idea of gaslighting, where people are may not know each other so well or one person is more prone to um, hold things in, 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 and then explode. And the other person is, you know, maybe not the, the typical dynamic that you talk about where one moves towards the other away. It's very inconsistent. Um, let's talk a little bit about this dynamic uh, between people. Well, what, you, what people are doing is kind of poking, you know, a quick, a quick stab of the other person and then hiding behind uh, something, uh, a lot of it, just, I was just joking or something like that. Right. And, the, but it happens often enough and then finally somebody explodes and it's sort of like, gotcha, see, you're the one exploding, you're the one having all the feelings, you're the one who's upset, you know, right. calm, calm and reasonable and so forth and so on. Well, I'm calm and reasonable having jabbed you ten times in the last week right. uh, about the same issue. Uh, taint fair. <laughs> right, right. Taint fair at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, to make this stuff work, you've got to both be willing to share what's, what's going on. Uh, so you've really got when, when there's a stab, you've got to kind of slow down uh, and find out, well, what's that as a feeling? And uh, if you can get people to back down to talk about a feeling as distinct from a judgment or uh, a blame or an accusation or so forth and so on, then you can have the kind of discussion that's worthwhile. But if you're just both both jabbing until the other person explodes, uh, what happens is by the time they explode, you're way up the escalation ladder already. Right, exactly. so upset that... Uh, It'll, it'll come out in ways that are non-productive. Right. So it's going to take some time, folks. If you don't know what your reactive strategies are, what your um, stress response is, you don't know each other that well, you don't know yourself that well, you're going to have to sort some of this out. And as Dr. James Creighton tells us, this is so worth it. Spending some time understanding your strategy, your unconscious material, how it shows up, 
because you care. You want this relationship to work out. So these are things that you will spend some time noticing and tracking over time. One of the things that you talk about in your book that I want to sort of leave folks with as we come to the top of the hour is self-talk. The importance of self-talk. We have to self-regulate here. We can't always depend on our partner to find their reason or access themselves. We need to be able to talk ourselves off the wall and get responsible. Talk to us about this self-talk and the importance of it in a relationship. Well, everybody has a kind of an inner inner commenter who uh, sits there and says, boy, did you blow that, or... uh, you're not gonna. This is the kind of stuff you don't do well. You you know, you should avoid it and so forth and so on. Uh, all of which are internalized voices we heard as a child from parents or other significant adults and so on. And the trouble is when you internalize something from somebody else, uh, some of it works for you really well, and some of it can be really destructive. Uh, I've seen. Uh, parents tell their kids that they're, what, they're stupid. Well, if you want a kid to be stupid, just keep telling them they're stupid. <laughs> you're, you're, you're programming them. And uh, what you want is, these are all programs that we carry around inside ourselves all the time that affect our be, our behavior and, and, in effect, put limits on who we can be. Uh, our commenter may tell us we, we can't, we're lousy at math or something like that, so on. When, when, when we comment negatively, we reinforce that behavior, and that leads us to engage in behavior which, in fact, creates the reality about which we're fearful. And uh, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy thing where I can't do math, and wow, I'll try to do some math, and I've just proved I can't do math, so forth and so on. But it's circular. So what? One of one of the skills, and it relates back to the framing, because the self-talk is one way we create a frame. Is we have to start watching our self-talk. We have to see what we're telling ourselves, and so on. And often we're telling ourselves things that are not productive, that limit us, uh, that create a frame that gets us into trouble so that we have no way out except for being reactive or aggressive or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we need to, to redo those uh, those programs. And they, they, they sort of have to be written over like you do with a, a computer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you go back, you identify the self-talk, and then you write out for yourself the phrase that that says what you want to have your self-talk saying. Uh, I, like I can I can handle most things if I am uh, can just kind of take it one time, one at a time instead of trying to be overwhelmed by everything. And whatever your phrase is, so and you begin then to practice that phrase. Uh, I have uh, some people I know who get up and first thing in the morning and they stand in front of a mirror and they say their their desired self-talk phrase to the mirror. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a way, they're sort of talking to themselves, and they're reprogramming this and so on. I have some friends who have wear rubber bands around their wrists, and each time they get one of the negative self-talks, they give themselves a, 
uh, a tiny snap so that they kind of are aware of what they're doing and so forth. But uh, there's a whole, there's kind of a whole school of psychology that's grown up now about about self-talk, and uh, it's well worth it to uh, to make sure that your self-talk is positive. Beautiful. Well, this is all wonderful advice. Let's put it into action, folks. Turn this into part of your practice. Uh, you want to get a copy of Loving Through Your Differences. It's available wherever fine books are sold. Dr. Creighton, what's your website address we want to lead folks to? I'm, I'm sorry. I couldn't hear the question. What was your what the website that we want folks oh, to okay. find? Yes. The website that uh, has most of the information about the about the book is uh, James L. Creighton, all one word. Creighton spelled C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N dot com. I also have another website, which is publicparticipation.com, which has to do with the work I do in, uh, with organizations and, and uh, resolving public controversies and so on. Uh, particularly, I, I noticed that uh, Amazon has a as a special on, on the book. It saves yourself about five bucks getting it from Amazon, but also Barnes & Noble or IndieBound, which is all of the independent bookstores. And uh, welcome you, go get the book, and uh, if you buy it from Amazon, then go back and leave a comment on there for somebody else to read. Beautiful. We are so grateful to have had you with us today. Thank you for joining us. We are at the top of the hour. What do you want to leave us with today? Well, I think I want, I want you to understand that principle that resistance breeds resistance. Most of us have a thing of if I just could say one more thing, they'd get it. They would change their reality and so forth. And instead, the name of the game is to understand the other person's reality rather than trying to change it. Beautiful. Well said. Not so easy to do, but a worthy endeavor. Let's all get on that. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Creighton. We appreciate you being on the program. You're welcome back anytime. I've enjoyed it very much. I'm so glad. All right, everybody, sit tight, sit loose, sit however you want to sit, but start your self-talk program. Right now, we're going to be back right after these messages for our wrap. Audiobooks gives you instant access to over 50,000 of the best sellers and hottest book titles in romance, mystery, fiction, and many other genres. Just visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Audiobooks to get started. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at it 50-50, and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, 
Call in to Real-Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. ASMC, the premier German company that supplies everything for adventure, from outdoor clothes to outdoor gear, even backpacks. Lots of quality and lots of specials. To start your adventure, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ASMC. You're listening to CHSR Real Radio on the web. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. So glad that you were here on Real-Time Relationships. For more information about upcoming shows, you can go to MarianneComerado.com, M-A-R-Y-A-N-N-E-C-O-M-A-R-O-T-O.com. Stay in touch with us, join our newsletter, listen to other archives. We are devoted and committed to helping you attract and create healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationships, starting with you. We'll join you next time right here on Real-Time Relationships. Until then, 